everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Empathy Podcast. I'm Holly Custard. And I'm Nelson Almanzar. Here at the Empathy Podcast, we bring on guests from all walks of life, and we talk about things like compassion, listening, and understanding, and how all these things have an impact on our lives. That's right. And we get to share stories with our guests to talk about how empathy plays a positive role in our day-to-day. And we're happy to report that it happens a lot more frequently than we might think. Yes. So before we begin this episode, we want to invite you to connect with us on our website, www.empathypodcast.com, and find us on Facebook and Instagram. And if you like what you hear, please rate this podcast and share it with your friends. Great. So thanks for listening. Now let's tune in to this episode of the Empathy Podcast. Gary Walker's been making visual storytelling look good for over 30 years with Oscar and Emmy-nominated visual effects design, supervision, digital compositing, and motion graphics for studio and independent features, documentaries, and commercials. And equally impressive to this is his 14-plus year commitment to Team FX. It's a social justice community that happens to also engage in couch-to-race training for the Austin Marathon and Half Marathon. Gary leads this whole community health movement in partnership with runners and local business leaders to help end the cycle of life-threatening abuse, neglect, and exploitation, raising funds for the Austin Children's Shelter. Gary and his community of runners have been awarded 314 medals and have raised over $420,000. In 2016, Team FX received the Austin Marathon's most prestigious award, the David Doolittle Memorial Cup for Excellence in Community Service. We are so happy to have you on the podcast, Gary. Thank you for joining us on Empathy Podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be a part of this discussion. Yeah, thanks for joining us, Gary. So, Gary, can you tell us about yourself? What is it that you're doing as a visual effects specialist? Well, it's interesting. I'm actually in transition. Paul, you mentioned the two things that have been my passions for the last number of years. And I'm actually in transition from, you know, my whole life was in visual effects. And then it integrated with team effects and the running. And now I'm pursuing doing the team effects focus movement completely. So I'm actually transitioning out of visual effects and moving into this effort full time. So what exactly is visual effects? Well, not to geek out too much, but visual effects is using the computer to manipulate imagery that was captured in different ways and different formats and created by different uh, methodologies and bringing them together to create a single image or a single scene or sequence of scenes in order to tell a story. So it's, it's, it's highly technical because it's computers. It's, it's yeah. pretty complex. It's and, diverse. And so when, when people see the results of visual effects, how do you describe the results of that? The goal for yeah. me has been for them to not even be able to tell that there's an effect. Okay. Like, Can you give us an like example? One scene that I worked on for a movie called What Lies Beneath with Harrison Ford and Michelle Pfeiffer. There's a scene where she's on the floor, she's passed out, he's gassed her, and he goes to pick her up and carry her up the stairs. Well, just seamlessly through this shot, the camera moves across the floor and seemingly goes through the floor, and you're looking at her from underneath. And 
the audience just sees this as some natural movement. But what someone paying attention might ask is, how the heck did that camera go through the floor? It was a very long, tedious process of CGI and morphing and compositing and removals and additions and tracking. And I, I can't even, we don't have enough time to describe everything that went into it. But this is a shot where you look at it and go, oh, he just picked her up. And, mm. But so it's sort of a breaking through the physical realities of, of what it takes to make a film so that you can create the, that fourth wall or that a better experience for the audience. Right. It's to create that illusion, that seamless illusion. illusion. You're like the unsung hero. <laughs> You're making all of that yeah. happen. <laughs> kind of. Well, if you huh. saw the before and then the after, then you would go, oh, my gosh, that's <laughs> amazing. But yeah, no one ever so, sees the before. Yeah. Mostly it is about understanding reality enough so that you can simulate it with different things. What makes something look far away and what makes something look real in the presence of three lights and yeah. highly reflective surfaces? You know, it's just it's pretty um, intricate. My job was to create that seamless yeah. story experience. Gary, it seems like there's a lot of different skills that are required to do this job. And I'm curious what drew you to do this type of work or how did you train for it? Well, the interesting thing is that back when I was in school, there was no school or training for this kind of thing. Visual effects was not even a thing. There were special effects, there were blue screens and everything, but it was all done optically. But enter the computer, and there was no training at the time. Fortunately, at the time, I was taking art classes at the University of North Texas in commercial design and minoring in computer science. And there was the beginnings of creating images with computers at school. <laughs> and <laughs> the early stages of computer graphics and integrating computer imagery into entertainment. I was always interested in film. I was always interested in art and actually things that were both creative and technical at the same time. I stuck with every little job that I had at the time, and it progressed years later into being able to move to Los Angeles and work in film. So I guess to hone it in, right, we're, we're on the Empathy podcast here, right? Mm -hmm. And this is where we speak to really awesome people who are doing awesome things and explore how they apply the principles of empathy into their work and to be more effective and, and successful in their work. So yeah, let's get into that. First, Gary, tell us what is empathy to you? Empathy to me is being able to step out of my own shoes and walk a mile in someone else's. Yes. To be able to listen and understand a perspective that's completely different from my own and interact and respond in a compassionate way. It's like an ongoing negotiation with the world to hopefully move through, create situations where everyone is understood and comes out ahead. I, I love that description of everyone is included and not left behind in terms of the process or the, the, the progress of a, of a situation or a conversation. Yeah, I'd like to add to that. It's also a means to progressing. It, it's a great place to start as a foundation of making progress in a disagreement or, or in some sort of creative process to achieve an outcome. You know, we, we need to begin to understand so in your line of work, tell us how empathy applies when you're creating the visual effects. Well, the thing about film 
as you know, when you're looking at the end of a film, the credits roll, there's a thousand names that go up. And those are a thousand different personalities, a thousand different perspectives. And you're also sitting in an audience surrounded by a hundred, you know, maybe more people who are all very different. So I'm working with directors and producers and writers and effects artists, people that are involved with every aspect of filmmaking, but they all have their specialty. They all have their thing, you know, that makes them unique, but they're not necessarily going to talk well with each other. And with the goal of trying to reach an audience, you know, not everyone along the way is going to even make that leap to think about what the audience is experiencing. So it's very important to have somebody who knows the director's job and what their pressures are, what their goals are, what their emotions are even, as well as the producer. Producer has a very different job than the director, and they're often battling it out because they have different goals. The writers, the effects artists, it is a slew of variation of personality. And, you know, when you get up to that level, we're talking ego here. And mm -hmm. ego is battling it out. And how does a film ever get made when there's a thousand people with egos trying to fulfill their vision and their own goals? It requires negotiation and communication and empathy really for what everyone's goals are mm. to come together to create a, a common solution and for me as an effect supervisor that was my like half of my job was interpreting the vision of the director into what a digital compositor can understand in order to create the imagery we need to create to make a seamless scene that impacts the audience interpretation of any kind i think requires empathy so it's really about communicating through different languages of all these different roles. Some are more visual, some are more technical, and you got the audience. I mean, the, the, the audience experience is a passive one, but that's what we're all working toward is creating this experience for the audience to be impacted in some way. Make them glad they spent the 15 bucks or to think about something long after they leave the theater or maybe even be moved to do something. Right. That's the general goal of the movie itself or the piece itself is to inspire some sort of emotion or action in the audience. Exactly. That's, that's true for me anyway. Yeah. I'm, I'm mostly interested in stories that mm. do cause people to think and to act differently or to think differently in a way so that they move through the world in a better way. You know, they're enlightened in some way. I'd like to hear how you mostly describe applying empathy within the process and, and working with other team members, other talent on the team that, that is assembling this film and, and or, or the special effects. Holly, like you, you've experienced things like that, right? In education where the end goal of providing, let's say, a better program, right? Yeah. What happens in your line of work when you can't come to an agreement or, you know, well, what I'm, kind of techniques do you employ to get people to connect with each other when things aren't smooth you know we we're working on this movie and we have this idea of how the movie is going how the the mood is how the audience is going to receive it and you know it's a thriller we think it's you know while we're working on it we think it's pretty good and pretty scary and what we don't have control over is what happens in the marketing department how do they market the film the marketing department for this <laughs> film 
decided to go a direction that was different. The trailers that were put out for the film kind of missed the mark. And I have no communication with those people. I understand their job and everything, but I don't even have the opportunity to give them my thoughts. You know, they are their own profession, separate from what I'm doing. We're all doing That's our jobs. That's a classic silo, right? Well, yeah, it's, it's what you're saying. It's not necessarily that it's good or bad marketing, but it's just different than what you had in mind. And right. when teams, when organizations or teams that have this diverse set of skills and, and roles within a, a long-term project like a film. Sometimes they're brought in at different times where decisions have already been made and they're sort of forced to go a certain uh, direction, you know, and probably miss opportunities to create influence or c to create awareness of, let's say, marketing needs or marketing restraints. Exactly. Well, as I've mentioned, I'm kind of phasing out of the visual effects area of my life. So move from that over to me leading this team of runners. I'm leading this team by myself. Instead of interpreting someone else's project, I'm the one creating and interpreting. So it's a little different. And how do I get through that other than I keep connecting with people? I keep learning, reading books on negotiating, uh, reading books about leadership and empathy and podcasts about empathy. <laughs> right. Seriously, I mean, it's really engaging by learning and there's all these different ways to do that. What your definition of empathy is in terms of no person left out, it's from a business perspective, we lose so much when we don't sit for a moment in our world and say, how do I engage with people around me and tap the, I guess, the talent or the insights from everybody to make this better? We, we tend not to do that. Yeah, a design thinking approach where you do have that opportunity to give everyone a, a voice. And sometimes we may not realize that there's not an even playing field in terms of voicing one's thoughts or contributing because of just dynamics of, of personal dynamics, such as just being the loudest person in the room by the sheer volume of your voice or right. being the highest paid person in the room or the most senior, the most junior. And, and what the goal of this type of work is that it gives no matter what type of person you are or how far along you are, you can contribute to it. The, the key is to have a system that allows for that freedom that allows for that opportunity for those voices and opinions to be looked at, to be given a fair opportunity to be considered and not be hindered by those other dynamics. And that's like the key to innovation, to creating great things, because you, you have considered more than the obvious options. I have always agreed with that. <laughs> what do the employees think about what's going on in the company, the, mm -hmm. the people who are actually doing the work? What do they think about the product that we're creating? What do they think about the process or how management is playing it out? Because I think that once people are given a voice, they are invested more in the project, not just from the work that they do and the paycheck that they receive, but they feel valued. They feel valued, exactly. Yeah. And, and they'll stay and they'll put more into it. Absolutely. But I think you're right, like that we do have that notion of, I'm an expert in this and I know what I'm doing. So... Don't tell me how to do it. I think it's the in exactly what we're talking about. It's the infrastructure or lack thereof that affords that openness to communication that is stymieing us, you know, across industries. We're not set up to do that. And we're not encouraged oftentimes to do it. 
but the value is so great. <laughs> I agree. You know, in all these companies I work for, I would always go to these post-mortem meetings. Like after a big project, we'd get together and we would say what went right, what went wrong, you know, how do we fix it? But I just didn't think it went deeply enough. And we didn't always do that. We didn't always have these discussions. And I always felt like had we delved more into those situations that we could have really come out a whole lot further ahead with the workforce, the workflow, how things work better in the future. I mean, I always felt like we should be learning here every time we do something. I know that Team FX is a huge part of your life. And now we know it's going to be even bigger. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about what Team FX is? Team FX is Community Wholeness Marathon Training. What does that, that mean? Team FX is a group that offers couch to marathon and half marathon training while raising awareness and funds for local children who have been removed from life-threatening situations of abuse, neglect, and exploitation. It's a group of men and women, really anyone age 15 and up who wants to reach into their potential in this way. Maybe it's a bucket list. Maybe they are looking for a way to lose some weight, get off some medication, do better with their health in general, improve their their lung function. <laughs> for me, I just wanted to see what I could do with my body. You know, what is my potential? What's the most I can do? And I ran my first marathon in 2001 terrified that I wasn't going to be able to do it. You know, there was a point in the training at which my kneecaps were just going to fly off and I would crumble <laughs> into a pile of bones and flesh. And, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Yikes, what a visual. <laughs> It's a visual effects dude explaining marathon, <laughs> marathon fear. But so now that I've done it a number of times, it's become a program where upon I can engage people who are new and level out the fear and level out the concern and help them understand what is needed in order to achieve this goal that they have. And are they up for it? Well, I imagine it takes a lot of empathy. <laughs> A lot hmm. of empathy on a lot of different levels. How do you do that? Because I know a lot of folks on your team have been running multiple marathons year after year. And then you've got newbies who are like, what do I need to eat? You know, <laughs> How do I, what do I do? How do you empathize with your running team? Or what role does empathy play in being a coach with such diversity? The first thing that I have to do is to create an atmosphere of safety. You know, people who are thinking about it I can never walk up to somebody and say, you need to train for a marathon, sign up for this training and let's do this. And we're on our way. It doesn't work that way. It's, it's more of creating a situation where people who have been thinking about it for a while and are willing to ask some questions and they come to a point at which they make a decision. This is a huge decision to step into something very foreign and trust someone to guide them to this goal that they have. So the first thing is to create the atmosphere of safety and recognize that it's a very emotional and a difficult decision for people to make and to take on. So how do I do that? The first thing I do is I remove labels at the door. And I just say there's no shame here for anything that you, any way that you think you are different, just leave it at the door. There's no one better or less than anyone else here. We're all heroes here, ready to reach into our highest potential together. And then I outline the benefits and the expectations up front so that there aren't any surprises. So it's a six-month program. 
I tell them everything that we're going to talk about and everything they're going to do and learn and what's expected of them as far as, you know, they're going to need to spend a little bit of money on some things and reach some milestones and to participate in creating awareness and funds for abused and neglected children. And it's amazing to me on the very first day for me to stand in front of a group of people and explain this and they say, I'm in. It's a beautiful thing. I don't care what you look like. It's like, you are welcome here to achieve your goal and I will help you do it. And if I, if there's something about you I don't understand, then I can't wait to find out so that I can help you reach your goal. I think your approach is, is pretty unique too, in terms of the whole community health idea and also the wraparound supports that you provide to your runners who are taking this big risk and learning a lot <laughs> all at, all at the same mm -hmm. time, having to negotiate their own personal barriers and challenges to succeeding in this. So what do you do that you think is different from other running teams? Well, I, I think first of all, creating the atmosphere of safety is, I mean, emotional safety is something that sets us apart from other groups. We set our number one goal as being the cause. We together have empathy for these children and we are going to do what we know how to do, come together and make a difference for them. We're setting up something a little bit higher than ourselves as the ultimate goal, but we have to reach into our individual goals in order to get there. And not one of us is going to get there by ourselves. We're going to have to get there together. It requires the efforts of so many different people, not just the runners, but also our community partners, volunteers, people who want to contribute in some way. People give money or they, they give their time. There's just so many avenues that people have in order to connect to this bigger thing. So, Gary, you mentioned having done so many years of visual effects, you have many takeaways, many lessons learned in your experience as a visual effects expert. What is a lesson that's related to empathy and working with teams that you can take away and apply to team effects to make it successful? I think it's a great question because that's kind of the overreaching commonality. How do you deal with people? How do you work with people? And how do you achieve goals? no matter what industry you're in. But it is really working with people, respecting people where they are, honoring people. You're just able to get so much more out of them and create so much more creative work when you see people and you allow them the voice. I mean, I wasn't able to express all of that in the visual effects industry, the film industry, Although I had good friends and I had good relationships with people I worked with, but I wasn't able to affect the industry as a whole, but I can do that with my group. And I actually thought about this recently, which helped me make the decision to make the switch was this is not a end of a career and the beginning of another. This is a sequence of events. And it has gone from being passionate about telling other people's stories to telling my own story. So I'm still storytelling and I'm just telling mine. And there's something empowering and also a little scary about it because I have to be super vulnerable in order to put myself out there this way. But I have nothing to lose now and I'm going full on. We've had some good years of success with this team 
And I know that what I've learned from the, the years in the film industry and what I've been able to do there gave me a lot of confidence to move forward. I think that vulnerability, Gary, that's come up in other podcasts. You know, other people that we've talked to have mentioned vulnerability. Brene Brown just put out, has a TED Talk on this topic. I think it's just fascinating. Elizabeth McQueen, who we spoke with, she's a, an artist in Austin. And she said, you know, as an artist, you can't really connect with an audience unless you're vulnerable because vulnerability makes you authentic. Mm -hmm. And authenticity makes people want to connect and empathize with you while you're empathizing with them. And I, that's what I heard you just kind of say that has been your experience here with the team and the fact that you're setting up the engagement based on trust and acceptance and opening up yourself to this group allows them to do the same back to you, which then you're all anchored to this common goal and vision and that powers it. Exactly. But it couldn't happen unless you set that up in the beginning. Exactly. And I have to let go of the fear. I have to absolutely let go of it. If I stand in front of a group of people shaking in my boots, they're going to go, what are you doing? And <laughs> what road are you taking me down? <laughs> I have to go up and realize that these people, they're nervous. <laughs> I have to calm their nerves. They are also here to connect. And I have to give them something to connect to, uh, something worthy of connecting that makes them feel good and feel like they are where they feel worthy and where they feel like they belong. So I can't do that if I'm like scattered in my head, wondering if people are going to like me or not, <laughs> or like what I have to say or what I'm doing. I just have to do it. And if I get some feedback about the way I'm doing it, not so good, whatever, I'm like, okay, I can hear that and I can assess later, but I really have to go full forward. When I tell people that I'm here to help you rise into your potential, I have to show my potential. <laughs> And uh, I have to inspire them. I have to give them hope. And uh, I feel like over the years, that's what I'm learning to do. You know, Gary, that's why we love you so much. Because Nelson and I, <laughs> I think that's similar to Nelson and my approach to Empathy Podcast. We were kind of nervous at first, knowing that we wanted to inspire people to bring people like you, your stories and your inspiration. You know, but you could blind yourself with fear and, mm -hmm. oh, it's not good enough. Or, oh, we don't know enough. Or, oh, we don't know what we're doing. Like, you know. <laughs> You got to just kind of jump in there because you know that the outcome is so important and you got to keep moving. Yeah, yeah. It's not going to be perfect on the first time out, but you just tweak, adjust, listen, keep going. And yeah. then it, you just keep doing it. And if you want to grow, keep growing, find ways to grow. Yeah. All of that shows that you're focused on the positive outcome, focused on the why, right? And in, in your example, you're focused on these folks need help and and they need guidance versus focusing on your own fear. When you're busy focusing on the why and the positive outcome, there's no time for the other stuff and you just keep moving. So. Right, right. And this other layer of we're doing this for the kids, these kids, they're already there. They have no choice and they need us. So am I going to like let my little fear get in the way of helping these kids who are really needing the help right now? And that's why I call this a movement. This is a shift in thinking of how we make change in the world. You know, our runners wear these little blue wristbands to remind us while we're running and we're starting to get tired and we're kind of sweaty and complaining. We just look at this little wristband to remind us that we're doing this for these kids. Not to disclaim how difficult training for a marathon is, but 
it kind of shifts our perspective a little bit there where we will push a little bit harder because we're not going to suffer as much as these kids are suffering. And we got to get through this in order to make a difference. So we just keep going. What would you say you've been most of all of this 14 years of, <laughs> of leading this group? What are you most proud of? Or what's one of your happiest moments where you're just like, oh my gosh, it's working. I feel great. I mean, I'm sure that happens every season, but is there something that stands out? Well, you're right. At the very end of every season, the, the evening after the race, we have our big celebration where we're celebrating our personal victories of getting our medals and achieving the race. But we're also handing over the big check to the Safe Alliance, where the Austin Children's Shelter is. And every time I feel like I'm on top of a mountain, like look at all these people who have done such amazing things to do this. Getting recognized by the Austin Marathon in 2016 with the David Doolittle Memorial Cup was a milestone where I felt like, you know, people are paying attention. People are seeing what we're doing. And this is very public. Everyone involved in the Austin Marathon knows what we're doing now and knows that we are a force for good. And we're using running as a force for good. We're using the marathon as a platform for good. It takes a village to pull this off. <laughs> There's so many facets to it, everything that you've said. And then the backside of the logistics of all of the business support that it takes. I'm curious, how do you find your business partners or how do they find you? How do you know it's a good fit? It really started with businesses that we already knew or were already doing business with or I was doing business with back when I was doing effects. I would just say, hey, this is what we're doing. Do you want to be involved? Here's how you can help. And they would say, absolutely. And it's, it's very humbling to talk to these people who run these companies, local companies. Some are small, some are huge, some are global. And to realize that they're just people too. And they care about themselves, their families, their community. And I relate with them in such a way because it's a relationship. It's a human relationship. And I just say, look at the potential we have together when we do this together. You take two businesses side by side who do the same thing, and one cares about their community and one's doing nothing. And when people walk up to those two doors, guess which one they're going to walk into? Absolutely. I'd love to hear more about your vision for where you want to take TeamFX to spread the impact. What, how do you intend to grow? My goal is to make this a movement, not just one team raising money for one shelter with this one platform and this one set of business partners. I just feel like I've created a model that is duplicatable in other places. So instead of one team with one event in one year is to create three teams for one event in a year. And then the next step after that would be to duplicate that in another city completely. I want to have more of an impact in Austin before I go over to Houston and help them show them how to pull this together there or San Francisco or Vancouver. I have sat down on occasion and just let my mind go wild thinking how far this can go. And I see teams across the country internationally. It's a wild vision and it's going to be one step at a time, but I'm going to step carefully and make sure that we do this right. I feel like 14 years, 13 years experience is enough to say, yeah, I think we figured something out and I think we can extend this beyond the scope of what we've done. And this, this is exactly why I've transitioned. 
completely out of doing visual effects is because I feel like this is going to be a full-time job and I need to focus. And it's going to be me coaching coaches and setting up the infrastructure. There's going to be a lot of online technology that connects people and resources and even helping shelters in different cities share resources that they might not already have. And empathy is at the core. <laughs> Absolutely. Empathy and trust. Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. This is the best, Gary. I'm so excited for you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> We're excited to see how it turns out. Awesome. Well, it's been a pleasure. I really enjoyed talking with you guys and you helped open up the idea of empathy across all of it. And I applaud you for what you're doing. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Empathy Podcast. Be sure to visit our website at www.empathypodcast.com. And if you have any questions, thoughts, or suggestions, feel free to send us an email at hello at empathypodcast.com. Also, find us on Facebook by searching Empathy Podcast. And be sure to tune in for the next episode.